Go ahead and find 1 Thessalonians 5 with me. First Thessalonians five. In First Thessalonians five and verse sixteen, the Apostle Paul writes. First Thessalonians five and verse sixteen. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. For you. So I was looking uh, at the calendar a few weeks ago, uh, trying to plan out some sermons. I saw that the Sunday after our meeting also happened to be the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And it just so happens that Thanksgiving Day is one of my favorite days of the year. Um, and what's not to like? Let's be honest. There's pie, and there's turkey, and there's dressing, and then there's leftover turkey and dressing, which somehow is even better. There's football, and there's naps. But if we get beyond sort of the the trappings of the day, if we think a little bit deeper, hopefully we're genuinely thinking about what we have to be thankful for. And hopefully if our hearts are awake, we'll find plenty to be thankful for on that day. It's a day, I find it, it, it to be quite easy to be thankful. There's so much that sort of is just nice about the day. Now maybe if I was tasked with cooking the meal, I wouldn't think it was so easy to be thankful. But just eating it, I find it quite easy to be thankful But if I also let my mind drift to the other days of the year, I also realize that being a thankful person is not always so easy and doesn't come so naturally to me most of the time. If I just let myself think about the content of my thoughts over the past few weeks, it doesn't take me long to realize I probably did more belly aching than I did Thanksgiving. Um, I tend to focus on what's wrong, what's wrong in the world, what's wrong in my life at this moment. Just sort of surveying my own sort of thoughts over the past week. I've sort of groused about, about elections, and I've groused about my back, and I've groused about dealing with car insurance and different stuff. And I focused on those things, and not the incredible blessings I have. A great family, and a great church, and a relationship with the God of heaven. And I suspect I'm not alone in this sort of tending toward belly aching. And we need to say very clearly, that is a problem. That's not just a, oh, that's the kind of person I am. It's not that kind of thing. It's a problem. In verse 18, Paul calls disciples to give thanks in all circumstances. For this, this is giving thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so if you're like me, I think we need to take a lesson from this self-examination, this realizing that, that we're not always giving thanks, not like we should. So I want us to think about that a little bit this morning and about the fact that it is hard to be thankful It takes work to be thankful. Thankfulness is not something that that should be just happening once a year when there's a piece of pie in front of us. And it's not something we should just wait to feel when the mood hits us right. Thankfulness is not that sort of thing. It shouldn't be that sort of thing. Thankfulness in the Bible is something to be pursued, something to be worked at, something to be cultivated in our hearts. And we need to say thankfulness is serious business. This isn't just about having a warm feeling in our hearts. It's serious business because our level of thankfulness is usually proportional to our grasp of God's work and God's person. That the better our thoughts about God, naturally the more grateful we are going to be toward him. And if we are not grateful toward him, it says we have not been thinking about him enough or well enough. If we were to always give God the credit and gratitude he deserved, we would never stop singing his praises. 
So the fact that we are not constantly giving him thanks is a sign we have yet to grasp how great he is and how much he has done for us as children. So this morning, at this time, we're naturally thinking toward being thankful. I want us to think about what God's word says about giving thanks in all circumstances. Thankfulness is an essential element to being a disciple. If we can learn to be thankful, it's going to cultivate in us godly character. It's going to give us motivation to serve God. It's going to shape us into the kind of people God wants us to be. But to do that, what I want to focus on this morning are several obstacles to thankfulness, why it is difficult. So I have this morning three reasons why it is hard to be thankful. Number one, it's hard to be thankful when we feel entitled and not blessed. This is uh, Luke 17. It goes me to Luke 17. <coughs> Excuse me. So Luke 17, we actually talked about this story a few weeks ago on the story of Jesus healing ten lepers. We focused really on the one grateful leper who understood himself to be an unworthy servant before Jesus. But I want us to really now focus on the other nine and what they must have been thinking and uh, and what they must have understood themselves to be. This is Luke 17 and verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? In verse 19, he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. You're aware leprosy was a terrible ailment, made you a complete outcast. You lived in isolation. You're unable to work. You're abandoned by your family. You're unwelcome in the synagogue because of your uncleanness. All this in addition to the fact that there is a very serious medical issue going on, which is likely going to cause your death very soon. They often lived in their own colonies, separated from the rest of the population. In this story, they're standing at a distance and yelling out to Jesus because they know they're not allowed to come near him. And so as Jesus nears them, they are crying out to him for healing. And so Jesus instructs them, go show yourself to the priest. Go show yourself to the, to the, to the uh, to public safety officer, in a sense, who will pronounce you ceremonially unclean and, and allow you to come back into, uh, into the community. And as they're on their way there, they are healed. And yet of the ten that are healed, how many turn around to tell Jesus thank you before they proceed on? Only one returns to thank Jesus. And Jesus' question is, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Only one who had been cleansed of this life-ruining illness had returned to say thank you. Jesus said, and it's a Samaritan of all people, an outcast among this already outcast group, an ethnic outcast in addition to his his physical, physical ailment. He is the sole example of gratitude. And so what this story teaches us, among other things, is basically how Jesus feels about gratitude and its importance and what it says about us. Jesus doesn't really have time for people who simply presume on his blessings and act like they're entitled to them. And I think we can understand the outrage Jesus feels when he, when he is taken for granted in his healing. 
I think we can imagine ourselves, we've been there, I bet, uh, doing something for someone, something small, something big, and the person who receives our generosity doesn't even turn around and say thank you. They act like they deserve what you did for them. Reminds me of a, of a, a brother in Christ that I knew who, uh, who was doing a lot of work for the house of another brother who uh, had a hard time getting around. And as he worked, the fellow stood there with his arms crossed. And when he got done, the fellow said something like this. He said, if this is the only thing you ever do for me, it's not going to count for much. Which is the strangest thing to say, I know, when, when you just uh, worked for someone in their house. Not even a thank you. It's as if the recipient of the blessing felt entitled to it and felt entitled to more after it. See, people who feel they deserve something are not, grateful, are not very grateful when they get something, are they? It's this one Samaritan leper who grasps what it is Jesus has done for him, how undeserving he is and how great Jesus is. And he shows us the proper response to receiving Jesus' blessings. He saw this healing for what it was, a wonderful gift. He had done nothing to deserve, no entitlement from him, only gratitude. And so when we are proud and when we are self-righteous, and when we are full of ourselves, we tend to think when good things happen to us, all that's happened is, I've gotten what I deserve. If we are not grateful, it says something seriously wrong about our character. Reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. We find him at one point in the book of Daniel, pacing along the roof of his palace, admiring everything that he had done and everything he had built. When he looks at the city, he's not grateful to anyone but himself. Proud people like that do not give thanks to God. If I am at the center of the universe, then when the universe sort of bends to my will, when it seems to be doing that, I, I sort of get even more proud. But when I see myself for what I, what I really am, a wretched sinner alienated from God who deserves nothing from him, when I see myself as I really am, a spiritual leper, when God does something for me, I'm going to act like that Samaritan leper and not the other nine. And just to stress the connection we made a few weeks ago when we talked about the story. In the, in the story immediately before this, Jesus tells a little, a little parable about how we all stand before God as servants. And even in our best moments, when we have served God and done all these things, we've only done what was our duty. Put these two stories together and you get our story in a microcosm. We are nothing. We deserve nothing. We are, we are debtors toward God. What God does is bless us anyway, heal us anyway. And the question this story raises is, what will we do next? Will we presume on God's blessings and feel entitled to them and take them for granted like the nine? Or will we return and praise God and thank our Savior? Now, one more, one more thing to say about this. Be turning to Numbers 11. Go to your Old Testament to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 11. I want to uh, describe a strange phenomenon and, uh, when it comes to, to thankfulness. And I want to try to describe the process by which we go from feeling blessed to feeling entitled. Uh, there is something I think that happens, especially when the blessings are given day after day and week after week. When the blessings are ongoing and constant, there's something about that that causes us to forget that we're receiving gifts and make us feel entitled to it. Receiving blessings on an ongoing basis should make us more grateful, but for some reason it seems to make us less grateful. So let me, let me illustrate it. I, just a, a hypothetical scenario that I think you could probably understand. 
So I want you to imagine that you went to the mailbox on Friday and you found an envelope from your friend that had $100 in it, $100 gift to you from your friend. And so you go to your friend and you say, what is this? What, why did you give me $100? I, I can't take this. I don't, I don't need this. And they say, hey, no, I want you to have it. I just want you to know I love you and I care about you. And so the next Friday, you go to your mailbox, another envelope. You call them up. Again, what's this about? And they say, no, I, I'm not going to argue about it. I want to do something nice for you. Just accept it. And so it happens again the next week and the week after that. The money's in the mailbox. You're still thankful. But at a certain point, maybe you stop calling. You already know what they're going to say. You already know they're going to say, hey, I just love you and appreciate you. I want you to have this. And then after a while, maybe you begin to count the money. And you say, you know what? $100 a week, that's $5,200 a year. And I could do a lot with $5,200 a year. I could buy lots of stuff with that. And you start buying all the stuff that you always kind of wanted, but you you never could quite justify in your budget. And then I want you to imagine that one day the envelope suddenly stopped without notice. How would you feel that next week? Would you feel grateful for all that you had gotten, or would you feel a little disappointed that it had stopped? At no point in the process did you deserve anything. At no point in the process did you earn anything or were you entitled to anything. But at a certain point, that wonderful blessing gets taken for granted, and we begin to feel entitled instead of grateful. I think there's a biblical example of this. It's in Numbers 11, among the wandering generation of Israel, though by this point they don't know that they're wandering yet. This is Numbers 11 and verse 1. And the people complained at the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among the people, uh, burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Verse 1 says, The people complained at the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And let's scrutinize that that statement for a minute. Israel says a lot of ridiculous things in the wilderness. I think this might be the most ridiculous. So just understand what's just happened in the previous previous few months. They've just been redeemed from cruel enslavement in Egypt. They'd been witnesses to the ten plagues. They'd walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They'd been given the law at Sinai and a covenant was made between them and God. So what misfortune are they referring to in verse 1? What misfortune had befallen them? The only one that I can come up with prior to this in the story is the fallout from the golden calf incident, which they had no one to blame but themselves. See, it doesn't take long for them to move past the blessings and to move on to other worries and other complaints, to which God responds with anger. But notice then in verse 4, That crisis is averted. Moses prays for them. And what did they do in verse (coughs) 4? Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing, nothing at all but this manna to look at. What happened? They have now become accustomed to miraculous manna from heaven that appeared on the ground out of nowhere six days a week. And they're suddenly pining for the good old days when the menu was more diverse, when they didn't have to do anything for their food, 
never mind the fact they were enslaved and were working, you know, 18-hour days for Pharaoh seven days a week. And can I add, at this point in the story, God fully intends to take them directly into the promised land. They are headed directly to the land flowing with milk and honey. The 40-year wandering in the wilderness isn't decreed until Numbers 14, after a fiasco at Kadesh Barnea. By this point, they're going straight from Sinai to Israel in just a matter of a few, a few weeks or months. But this isn't just an Israel problem. This is a human problem. This is an us problem. Now that this need is being met, now that I'm receiving this blessing, what that means, I can now simply bank on that. And I can take it as a given. And I am allowed now to move on to other worries and other complaints. The first day they received the manna from heaven, I'm sure they were grateful. But then gratitude moves to to taking for granted, and taking for granted moves to entitled. And no one says thank you anymore for something they feel entitled to. Shouldn't the fact that God provides for us every day, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, shouldn't that make us more grateful and not less? So God blesses us day after day, week after week, month after month, with what we need to live. What do we do with that? We begin to take the essentials of life for granted. We begin to feel entitled to those, entitled to a lot more than the necessities of life. We move on to other worries and complaints, like envying the neighbor's new car, instead of being thankful for the one that I have. We have all the spiritual riches in this age and the next. God loved us so much that he gave his son to die for us. And what do we do with that information? We take God's love for granted. We feel entitled to it. We presume on his kindness. We presume on his goodness. We begin to live how we want, and we justify it in our minds saying that God will forgive me. He's loving. He's graceful. That's what we do with that blessing. Show me someone who thinks they deserve what they have, and I'll show you someone who does not give thanks in all circumstances. Thanksgiving is hard. It's hard to be thankful when we feel entitled and not blessed. Number two, it's hard to be thankful when we don't grasp how much we are blessed. If, if uh, you will do a, a, a quick search of words like gratitude and thankfulness and thanksgiving in the Bible, you'll be amazed, first of all, by how often it's happening. Thanksgiving is happening toward God. And you'll also be amazed by the vast range of things people are telling God thank you for. People are saying thank you to God and praising him for things I never thought of praising him before. So what I want to do is take you on a brief tour through the Bible of gratitude, a brief gratitude tour. The first is from Paul's pen. When Paul prayed, what he often does is give thanks to God for his brethren. There were other people he had the privilege of knowing who wanted to serve the Lord like him, who were of service to him in various ways, and he is constantly telling God, thank you for them. And so he says this in Ephesians 1 and verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, he says to the Ephesians, remembering you in my prayers. We tend to take our brethren for granted. We grouse about our brethren sometimes, where Paul gave thanks for them. Paul also thanks God when the seed of the gospel found good soil, that when people responded, when people's lives were changed, it is God who deserves the praise for that and not the preacher. And so he says this in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work, is at work in all you believers. We thank God constantly for this. 
What about this scene from the book of Revelation? The 24 elders thank God that he is reigning in his kingdom. And they say this. They say, we, th- we th- give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. When was the last time you thanked Jesus that he is reigning, that he is king, that he is Lord? At the end of the great resurrection chapter of the Bible, Paul thanks God for our forthcoming resurrection because it means our labor is not in vain. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our end is a victorious resurrection and not a grave. Thank God for that. We can't touch on the, on the subject of forgiveness and, and thanksgiving of thanksgiving and gratitude without t- talking about the Psalms. Often what the Psalms do, I, I'm astounded by the fact that the Psalms are often not giving thanks to God for something that he has done, but for simply who he is. They recognize we serve an awesome and holy and gracious and forgiving God, and they are full of thanksgiving that God is those things. And so Psalm 75 and verse 1, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Give thanks to God for his steadfast love, his goodness, his faithfulness. Psalm 106, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? The Psalms are a model of thanksgiving in our own prayers. They show a pattern of thanking God, not just for what he's done, but for who he is. Let me take you to one more example. Turn with me to Ephesians 3. In Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3 and verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer is that Christians will begin to understand what God has done for us and who he is. He describes, among other things, God's love in sort of physical dimensions, as if God's love had breadth and length and height and depth. It's a love, he says, that surpasses knowledge And yet, despite that fact, I want you to begin to comprehend it somehow. He says, I can't very well explain why God loves spiritual lepers like you and me, but we can be impressed and grateful that he does. And so the task the Bible gives us, one of the big tasks the Bible gives us, is to begin to grasp how much God has blessed us and how great God is. We need to give serious thought, imaginative thought, Diligent study so that we can think better things about how blessed we are and how great God is. For example, we need to see God's hand more often in our lives, God's providential hand in our lives. We need to begin to see our lives not as our story, 
where I occasionally need God's help in my story, but to see ourselves as a part of God's story, living in God's presence, living under God's blessing and God's care at all times. God watches over his children with great eagerness and great zeal. He desperately loves us and wants to bless us. We need to think and speak in recognition of our blessings. I really do think it's a serious task, and I'm, I'm not particularly good at it, but it's a serious task to remove words like lucky and fortunate from our vocabulary. We're not lucky. We're not fortunate. Those are actually very pagan ideas. There's these big impersonal forces. There's these immutable you know, train tracks of our lives, and you can't help it, and things happen to you. That's not the world we live in. We live in a world where God loves and blesses his children, and the good things that happen to us come from his hand and no, nothing else. We're not lucky. We're not fortunate. We're blessed. I think it's time to do serious Bible study to better understand who God is and what he's doing for us on a grand scale. He is up to much more than feeding us a few times a day. As he says in in Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And maybe we need a bit more creativity in our blessings, in, in our thanksgiving. You know, we tell God, thank you for my blessings. That covers all the bases. But it doesn't mean much to me, at least. As the song instructs us, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Uh, for years in, uh, in Christianity magazine, D. Bowman wrote a column called That's Life. And in it, he would often name a specific thing or a specific person he was thankful for. He did count your blessings, name them one by one. And so he would give the name of a person and say why he's thankful for that person, a very specific reason. He would name a church he had known or been associated with or been, been benefited from. He would name a characteristic of God and how that had affected his life. He would name something God had done in his life. Sometimes it'd be sort of whimsical, but, but I think profound nonetheless. I remember on one occasion he, gave, he, he thanked God for air conditioning which if you live in in Houston is a very good thing to be thankful for. The reason thanksgiving and gratitude is sometimes hard for us is I think we just don't fully grasp how blessed we really are. We know we should be thankful and we sort of beat ourselves up, yeah, I need to be more thankful. But as long as we just have fuzzy notions about the fact that we're blessed, as long as we don't really nail down what it is God is up to and what what he's like and what he's doing for us, we're going to have a hard time with gratitude. What I'm saying is we're going to have to exert some work, some effort, some study, some creativity into our thanksgiving. That's what it takes to be thankful every day. And finally, in number three, it's hard to be thankful when we don't always get everything that we want. Go back with me to the place where we started, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks, Paul says, in how many circumstances? The circumstance when I get everything I want and nothing I don't, then I'm allowed to be thankful. The circumstance of when I feel like giving thanks, that's when I should be thankful. No, give thanks in all circumstances. The occasion of Thanksgiving Day is an easy one to be thankful. But what about the following week? 
when I'm back to the stresses and frustrations of normal everyday life? What about being thankful in a financial downturn, nationwide or just personally? What about being thankful, finding ways to be thankful when I or someone I love receive a bad diagnosis? What about being thankful when I keep praying for something and the answer keeps coming back, no? Thanksgiving is harder in those circumstances, but Paul still wants us to try. So let me say two things about this. Number one, even when we don't get everything we want, we still have plenty of reasons to give thanks, and we need to keep naming those reasons. Like Israel in the wilderness, we tend to fixate on what's wrong, what's difficult, what's inconvenient, while ignoring all the things God has done in the past, like delivered them from Egypt, made them his people, made promises to them. We forget about what God has done in the past, and we forget about what God is still doing in the present. In Israel's case, he was still feeding them, he was still guiding them, he was still uh, their chosen people, they were still his chosen people, he was still taking them to the promised land. Thanksgiving will be easier at some times more than others. But in all times we need to remember God is still good and God still loves us and God still cares about us even if he hasn't given me everything on my wish list. And the second thing I want to say about this is that as we mature in Christ, we will hopefully begin to see that not getting everything we want is sometimes the blessing itself. Perhaps we haven't gotten what we want. Perhaps God has said no, not because he doesn't love us, but precisely because he does love us. Take Paul. Take his thorn in the flesh. He says he prayed three times for its removal, and the answer came back three times, no. And he eventually came to have this perspective, that God allowed that pain and that inconvenience and that difficulty for his own good. In his words, to keep me from becoming conceited and to show that God's power is made perfect in weakness. We need to remember God is up to much more in our lives than making perfectly comfortable terrariums for us to live in. He's up to much more than sort of feathering our pillow and and making our lives as easy as possible. He is up to much bigger things than that. He's trying to develop maturity in us. He's trying to refine our character. He's trying to cultivate our patience. He's trying to teach us wisdom. And God often does those things through hardship and suffering and difficulty. God, help us to reach a point when we can even learn to praise and thank God for the difficulty. To understand that the Lord is righteous in all his ways and in all his works, as Psalm 145 says. So Thanksgiving is serious business. And it takes work to cultivate. We need a self-image humble enough to recognize God gives us blessings and he doesn't give us entitlements. There are no entitlements with God. We are to make it our task to learn all the ways in which we are blessed and to be a little bit imaginative in giving thanks for those. And as we mature, we may even reach a point where we can thank God for not giving us everything that we want. Thankfulness really is the key to so much about our walk with God. You think about this. It's thankfulness that transforms the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's thankfulness that that transforms that from an obligation to a joy. We don't just flagellate ourselves and say, yeah, I've got to love God more, and I'm such a terrible person, I need to do a better job of that. No. Get a clear picture in your mind of what it is God has done for you, and be gripped by that gratitude, 
and it's simply a natural outflow of gratitude to give back to the God who has given himself for me. Thankfulness is really the thing that gives us the resources to forgive people who harm us. My gratitude for the forgiveness I've received moves me to offer forgiveness to someone else who needs it from me. I've received it, and I'm grateful for it, and I want to give it knowing what a blessing that is. And I think thankfulness is basically the right motive to become a Christian in the first place. My grateful response to understanding God's work, when I behold Jesus on the cross, when I understand what he has done for me, my simple and grateful response to that is to give my life to him, to the one who's given his life for me. And so maybe there's someone here this morning moved by gratitude for all that God has done for them. And if you are, I hope you'll be moved if you're not a Christian to become one. And if you've been living in sin as a Christian, I hope you'll be moved to repent and to give yourself once more to the God who gave himself to you. If there's anyone that needs to respond, come forward now as we stand and sing. Thank you.